0: Let's bow our heads. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you again for another day just to be here, uh, to get us up and to have a purpose for our day, to gather together like this as your adopted ones, to learn your word, to learn your plan for our lives. Father, we thank you that we are not without purpose And you haven't left us alone. Father, we also right now pray for those who could not be here with us this morning, who really want to be, many who are sick and have legitimate excuses, things that are in the way. We ask that you bless them, especially spiritually, and let them know that we're with them in spirit. And Father, most of all, we're grateful and thankful for your son, Jesus Christ. We thank you for sending him out of heaven 2,000 years ago to become a man, to take away the sins of all mankind at the cross, so whoever believes in him will never perish but have eternal life. Father, we thank you for doing the unthinkable. We ask that you humble us right now before your word, Father, help us listen with with an open mind and open heart. We ask all these things in Christ's precious name, and it's by the power of your spirit we pray, amen. God's love for orphans should be interesting. Um, I first want to thank Pastor Collins for the opportunity to stand in behind his pulpit It's always a privilege and an honor to feed the Lord's sheep in his stead, Um, just uh, kind of beyond words. So I don't take this for granted, and I appreciate you being here and hearing what the Spirit has to say this morning. And please keep our pastor in prayer again as he has some time away and alone with God. Our title today is God's Love for Orphans, and it may not entirely be what you think it is right now. Um, What led me to this subject was a thought that came to mind from one of pastors' recent lessons from Thursday, April 25th, to be specific. And he was talking about God working, and Jesus said He was working. That was when the Pharisees were judging Him for doing good things on the Sabbath. We saw this verse on the board in John 5, 17, And he, Jesus, answered them. My Father is working until now, and I myself am working. And that's an interesting statement for a God that doesn't need anything, or need need to do anything. He in himself is completely sufficient and content. But they are working. They, being the Trinity, are working. And for what or for whom? We might rightly say they're working for others. They're working on our behalf, His creation. Apparently there's some need in His creation. And then orphans and widows came up somehow in God's love for them, how He especially cares for those in need, and that's the heart of God. And we're told in James 1 that true religion includes visiting orphans and widows in their distress. And the Spirit hit me with the fact that we, all of us, even us believers in this room right now listening, who have surrendered to Christ, we were all orphans at one point, if you think about it. We were all born in sin. We were trapped in spiritual death, separated from God. And technically, we were of our father, the devil, According to John eight forty four, being under the curse of sin. But of course, the devil is not a good father at all, but the father of lies. So we're going to open up with this to um, kind of set the stage. Go to John eight thirty one. John eight thirty one. And we're going to read this passage in context here. Which reveals really that all of us, being born in sin, were of our father the devil, not of God. We were all trapped in that relationship, trapped in darkness. John eight thirty one. So Jesus was saying to those Jews who had believed him, If you continue in my word, then you are truly disciples of mine, and you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. They answered him, we are Abraham's descendants and have never yet been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who commits sin is the slave of sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son does remain forever. So there's our first clue in the fact that we're all spiritual orphans. We're all slaves to sin, right? Born in sin. And this says the slave does not remain in the house forever. We cannot be in God's house forever if we remain a slave, a slave of sin. However, the son does remain forever. So if the son makes you free, you will be free indeed. I know that you are Abraham's descendants, yet you seek to kill me because my word has no place in you. I speak the things which I have seen with my father. Therefore you also do the things which you have heard from your father. They answered and said to him, Abraham is our father. Jesus said to them, if you are Abraham's children, do the deeds of Abraham. But as it is, you're seeking to kill me, a man who has told you the truth which I heard from God. This Abraham did not do. You are doing the deeds of your father. They said to him, we were not born of fornication, we have one father, God. Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me. For I proceeded forth and have come from God, for I have not even come on my own initiative, but he sent me. Why do you not understand what I'm saying? It is because you cannot hear my word. You are of your father, the devil, and you want to do the desires of your father. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. Doesn't that sound like our flesh, by the way? Our flesh is so wretched. We think wicked thoughts, for example, and we wonder where they came from. It's a picture of the flesh. You are, in verse 44, of your father, the devil, and you want to do the desires of your father. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. Whenever he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own nature, for he is a liar and the father of lies. But because I speak the truth, you do not believe me. Which one of you convicts me of sin? If I speak truth, why do you not believe me? He who is of God hears the words of God. For this reason, you do not hear them. Because you are not of God. This, my friends, can be said about all of us before we turn to Christ. We were all born not of God under sin, as spiritual orphans, if you will. Lost and uncared for by this world, and uncared for by the devil, our father, who was evil, whom the world belongs to for now, in 2 Corinthians 4.4. 4. And were it not for God reaching out to us and saving us, we would have been lost forever. We would have remained on the streets, uncared for, with no hope of caring for ourselves. But he reached down and reached out. So turn to 1 John 3, verse 7. 1 John 3, 7. So we're first noting here that we are all born in sin and therefore of our father, the devil. And were it not for God reaching out to us and saving us, we would have been lost forever. 1 John 3, 7. Little children, make sure no one deceives you. The one who practices righteousness is righteous, just as he is righteous. The one who practices sin is of the devil. Now there you should think of an unrepentant lifestyle of sin, okay? We all sin even after salvation, but if you have an unrepentant lifestyle of sin and you don't really care that you offend God, you are of the devil, is what John says. The one who practices sin is of the devil, for the devil has sinned from the beginning. The Son of God appeared for this purpose, to destroy the works of the devil. No one who is born of God practices sin, because his seed abides in him, and he cannot sin, because he is born of God. By this, the children of God and the children of the devil are obvious. Anyone who does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor the one who does not love his brother. So notice here in verse 10, Everybody falls into one of two classifications, either children of God or children of the devil. And unbelievers certainly don't want to hear this, right? They would deny it, in fact, because they're a good person, many many would claim. But being a child of the devil doesn't mean you're always out there doing overt evil. It means you refuse your God and Savior. You reject Him. And therefore, you are... Remaining as a child of the devil, even from birth, born in sin. So we are all either children of God or children of the devil. There's not a third option. There's not children of the world. There's not children of uh, their own morality, their own flesh. There's not nobody can claim to be not in one of those two categories, and they can deny that if they want to. That's fine. But the Word of God says. It's either children of God or children of the devil. So we're all born this way, trapped in sin, as children of the devil, as children of a tyrant under slavery to sin. But really, where this series is coming from is this. God, our Father, says, I want you. I'll take you in. Are you willing? Are you willing? to come into my home that's why holy scripture says we believers have been adopted into God's family no one else may have wanted you and you couldn't save yourself you couldn't provide for yourself and God saw in each of us the orphans that we were especially speaking spiritually right now lost unable to pay for our own sins for example unable to pay our debt. And we were all destined for sin and suffering and death. And God said, because God loves orphans, God our Father said, I want you. I'll save you. Come into my home. I'll be your father. That's our God. That's His wonderful love that we can't attain to fully in this life. But God loves orphans, thank God, because we were all in that boat, whether we realized it or not. God our Father said and says to everyone in the world right now, I want you. I'll save you. I'll take you in. Come into my home. I'll be your Father. He offers His love and grace to all who are willing to turn to His Son. So that's the train of thought that prompted this series on God's love for orphans. And we'll just have to see where the Spirit takes us this week. I mean, I already have an idea, but uh, we'll see what He adds in and, you know, the uh, perspectives, the different angles He gives us to think about things, because that's really what can open up our vision and help us see things more fully. So in particular, we're going to be discussing what the Bible says about pure religion And orphans and widows and we'll see God's great concern for them and how we as his adopted children are to reach out to other orphans as well and bring them into the father's kingdom it really is so simple now I just want you to think for a minute about orphans and widows what do they have in common What do orphans and widows have in common? One common description would be that they have lost someone in their life who could be both loving them and providing for them. Is that fair to say? Right? A husband, uh, a father, both loves his family and provides for his family. They're both in the same boat, in other words, suffering the same uh, loss And a good father, which is our God, both loves and provides for us orphans. I think of the parable where Jesus basically said, invite them all in off the streets to the king's dinner in Matthew 22. Whoever they are, the people that are most in need, the people that don't deserve it, just bring them all in. So we also have that calling on our lives. We're, we're, we're the arms and feet of Jesus, if you will. We, we have a light to shine. We, we are to shine forth his light to others and share his grace and love, show his grace and love. How do you show it? Not by just lip service, right? Not by just saying the right thing or saying I love you or whatever, but by reaching out in that way, going out to the streets and taking someone by the shoulder, you know? And taking them in, and saying God wants you. You know, He wanted me. I couldn't believe it. We're in the same boat. So we have this calling on our lives that um, I don't know if we take it for granted or, or uh, maybe we're scared. We're, We're scared to act in it. But there's no more noble of a calling than the one that God passed down to us after he saved us. To let others know about our loving God and Father so they no longer need to be lost in spiritual orphans, lonely, depressed, scared, etc. Amen? I mean, we're talking about the Great Commission again. We're talking about reaping the harvest. Go out to the four corners. Let them know about God their Father that He wants to take them in. So let's start with our concept of adoption and God's love for orphans on the board. When we approach someone with the gospel, we're letting them know that God wants to adopt them. That might be another approach as you approach people that, let's face it, are lost, are miserable, are scared. Um, Some are desperate in their souls even though they don't show it on the outside. When we approach someone with the gospel, we're letting them know that God wants to adopt them. Some people are scared of God, right, or don't even want to think about God because they know there's judgment or they've heard there's judgment. Well, we need to let them know, yeah, there is judgment. And you do need to repent. But God wants to adopt you freely. He wants to take you in and make you his forever. As in Romans 8, through 25, Ephesians 1, 3 through 6, and 10 through 14. As we've seen recently, the gospel is really presenting him, the person of the Lord. That's our, that's our main job, if you will, when you present the gospel to someone. You're presenting him, you're telling people about him, your Father, and your Lord and your Savior. You're bragging on God. You're boasting in Him and what He did for us. In particular, we are to begin with the concept of God's justice and then lead them to His love and forgiveness. This came out in the Gospel Reload. This came out again a couple weeks ago. How, you know, we need to let people know there is such a thing as God's justice. And He does judge in the end. He must because He has to do the right thing. But his love and forgiveness is there for, for those who turn to him in humility. And he wants you to come on board. He wants you to come into his family. So there's the call to repentance towards God and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we might go to an unbeliever who we think might be open. You know, it's, sometimes if you know they're not open, you really don't want to go there yet. But if someone's kind of open... You might say something like, We're all lost and trapped in sin. Spiritual orphans, if you will. We have no hope in ourselves. But God loved us so much that He sent His only Son into the world to die for your sins and my sins on the cross. Every single one of them. So whoever believes in Him will never perish. He wants to adopt you as His own child as he did for me, as he did for all of us. He wants to adopt you. He wants you to accept his offer. He wants to give you eternal life, and this life is in his son. So that might be something that you say to somebody from that perspective. Now, please don't think you have to memorize anything like that in particular or say it a certain way, because the Holy Spirit's going to tell you what to say. The Holy Spirit knows what that person's heart is thinking, and in need of at that very moment. But that might be an approach. And timing is everything, right? I mean, is it a coincidence that this message and this topic is being taught right now? Or is there a purpose in it? I'll be honest, when I was praying about what to teach a couple weeks ago, and I knew Pastor was going on vacation, and nothing else was coming to mind except this. And and once again, I'm like, Lord, are you sure this is what you want to, you know? So the timing of this, maybe, just maybe, it's the perfect timing for you right now for a reason. Maybe, just maybe, the people that we are going to meet in the next month respond to this type of approach and maybe have struggled as an orphan, as someone who has lost someone, uh, as someone who is lonely and desperate in their souls and you don't know it. So this might be one approach, especially towards those who are estranged from their family or their parents, which is common nowadays. In reality, salvation is a form of adoption. And we can rejoice that God our Father takes anyone and everyone into his family if they're willing to repent and believe the good news. So let's get a fresh reminder of what the Spirit says about adoption uh, let's turn in our Bibles to Ephesians 1, verse 3. Again, the point on the board regarding God's love for orphans. When we approach someone with the gospel, we are letting them know that God wants to adopt them. Ephesians 1, verse 3. blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before Him. In love, He predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to Himself, according to the kind intention of His will. To the praise of the glory of His grace, which He freely bestowed on us in the Beloved. So there we see in verse 4 that God chose us because He knows all things. He predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to Himself. And look at Ephesians 1, verse 10. Just a few verses later. Look at the end of verse 10. In Him also we have obtained an inheritance. Now only sons or relatives or adopted sons, in verse 5, receive an inheritance. In Him also we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to His purpose, who works all things after the counsel of His will. To the end that we who were the first to hope in Christ would be to the praise of His glory. In him you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed. So there you see a person accepting the offer of adoption, accepting God's welcoming them into his home. Again, verse 12, to the end, that we who were the first to hope in Christ would be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is given us or given as a pledge of our inheritance with a view to the redemption of God's own possession to the praise of his glory. Who gets all the glory in adoption? The orphan or the one willing to adopt and take care of them? God our Father reached out to us, even though we were dirty, on the road, filthy, doing things that are unheard of. He reached out to us, put his arm around us, and took us in. If you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, God now says, you belong to me. You're my child, and I will take care of you, because that's what good fathers do. And that adoption and that inheritance is sealed in Christ by the Holy Spirit of promise who cannot lie. So this is the message we are to pass on, the message that we took advantage of, that we received by grace through faith. On the board, Titus 1, 1 through 2. Paul, a bondservant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, For the faith of those chosen of God, there it is again, chosen of God and the knowledge of the truth, which is according to godliness, in the hope of eternal life, which God who cannot lie promised long ages ago. So we have a father that takes us in off the streets and it's permanent. We're not wondering if he's going to change his mind. We're not wondering if he's going to get tired of us. It's permanent because he is who he is. And notice in the verse on the board, the hope of eternal life. Eternal life is in view. The new life, as we've been learning, given to those adopted by God. Believers have a new father and a new inheritance now being a member of his family. We also see something interesting here because, you know, we just read in Ephesians how we have been adopted. But turn in your Bibles to Romans eight twenty-three. Romans eight twenty-three, where Holy Scripture also says we are awaiting our adoption as sons into eternity. In other words, we are awaiting our move in with God our Father, moving into his eternal home. We're still waiting for that. But at the same time we've already been adopted. Romans 8 23. And not only this, but we, but also we ourselves, having the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves grown within ourselves, waiting eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our body. For in hope we have been saved. But hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he already sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, with perseverance, we wait eagerly for it. So on that exciting day, we will see God our Father in all his glory, and we will see Jesus, our Lord, our friend, and our brother, who purchased our way into the Father's kingdom by his blood. On that exciting day, we're going to see them. In other words, our adoption is going to be consummated, official, along with many other things. It's almost like we orphans have the paperwork now. It's like we got the paperwork signed by God that we are his. We are Now it's official. We are his. But we're just not in his home yet, you see? But he still takes care of us. He loves us and takes care of us, provides for us what we need, not what we want, so we don't get spoiled. But he provides for us now, and he loves us now, and the Bible says he's actually in us now. But one day we'll actually be in his presence, in his literal home of heaven forever and ever. So why is this? Why can we say this? I mean, we just read scripture that says we should look forward to it and eagerly wait for it. But on the board, again, it's because we're called God's own possession. We already read that in Ephesians 1 14. We spiritual orphans have already been adopted by our God and Father, we are His own possession. Can I get an amen? I'm trying to make you Pentecostal. I mean, this is another angle into the good news. This is another way to approach people. And maybe God's going to give you the perfect person today or tomorrow that responds to this because of what they've been through in their life. Pray for God to bring you to the right people. And notice I said bring you to them, not them to you. Remember, we're commanded to go out, right? Pray for God to bring you to the right people so that you can share this wonderful perspective of hope with them. We heard from the Spirit a couple weeks ago, reach out and love someone. You're bored, you don't know what to do, you don't know what God wants you to do, well, you know God wants you to love others. Reach out and love someone. I don't know who, but as we're going to talk about later, there's no shortage of people in need. Even in our country. What better way to reach out to someone in love than with the good news of adoption? Let them know their father is good. The sun rises every day, doesn't it? Even when we're living in evil, he lets the sun shine on us, as we saw on Thursday's lesson. He lets the rain fall on us and water us. Even when we're living in evil, That's the father we need to tell people about, and that he wants them into his family. He wants more people at his dinner table, if you will. And we have the privilege of being those adopted, those orphans taken in. We have the privilege of holding somebody's hand and bringing them to the father's kingdom. And we shouldn't ever take that privilege for granted. Why, why are we allowed to do that? Why, we, why do we have the privilege to have his words on our lips? Totally a grace privilege. So on the board, we're talking about a gospel perspective. Isn't it easier as an orphan who was lost but is now adopted to talk to another orphan about your good father in heaven who reached down from heaven to save you. Isn't Isn't that easier to relate to someone that way? Why don't we talk in these terms? Why not? And then, of course, you know, a more common one would be, isn't it easier as a sinner saved by grace to approach another sinner? Knowing you both share the same problem and hopelessness. Get on the same wavelength with them, you know? Don't be shy to let them know you're a sinner and that, that, you know, there's nothing good about you. In fact, if they knew your sins, they wouldn't want to hang out with you. Don't be shy to tell them that because it's true, if you're honest. It may not be the obvious sins or the overt sins. We all have our, you know, specialties, if you will, right, <laughs> in a bad way. We all have our uh, weaknesses, but we need to let them know right up front. Listen, I'm not coming to you from up here. I'm not I'm not saying I'm better than you or whatever, or you need to uh fix your life and be perfect. I'm coming to you down from this lower level that we're all at, and we all have a desperate need. And by you letting them know that you have that desperate need, it lets them or helps them accept their need. Even though, even though they have pride, right? Everyone has pride. But it helps them accept, yeah, I am a sinner. You know what? I am an orphan spiritually. I don't know right from left. I don't know what's going to happen when I die. I have no spiritual clue. So you're giving them the ability to humble themselves by you presenting yourself as who you really are, where you really came from. So let's utilize that relationship is what the Spirit's saying. Get on the common ground with them. Let's not be judgmental. And we complicate it, right? Why are we complicate it? It's so simple. Look at it again on the board. Isn't it easier as an orphan who was lost and is now adopted to talk to another orphan? about your good father who reached down from heaven to save you? Isn't it easier as a sinner, saved by grace, to approach another sinner, knowing you both share the same problem and hopelessness? So we've been reminded of what holy scripture says about our adoption. And if we were adopted, that means we must have been orphans. At least spiritually fatherless, let's say. The Spirit will hopefully allow us to get into that. Let's go to a verse that we all should be familiar with at this point. Go in your Bibles to James 1:27. James 1:27. Why so much focus in the Bible about orphans and widows? We're going to see it's all throughout the Old Testament too. James one twenty-seven. Pure and undefiled religion in the sight of our God and Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself unstained by the world. So we're talking about pure religion in God's eyes. You know, we might, we might have like little stratifications of our religion. Well, this is pretty good. Oh, but this is actually better to do, right, in God's eyes. This is really good to do in God's eyes, right? Well, what's the most pure thing we could do in our religious activity, so to speak, in living out, living out the gospel? This is one of the purest things we can do, God's telling us, to visit orphans and widows in their distress, and to keep oneself unstained by the world. So honestly, we could spend months on this verse, right? And the concepts in it, just looking at the concepts in it, talking about pure and undefiled religion, for example. But again, we're going to see what the Spirit wants us to emphasize. It's not about knowing everything. It's not about dissecting this verse for the rest of our lives. It's about what is the Spirit saying to us right now? What's His message to us right now? What's he want us to carry out of here today on our hearts and souls and and to uh, bring out? That's all we're after, right? What's the message? So we might ask, what does God want from us? How are we to live out our lives on earth? The religion a believer lives out in his life includes this type of care for those in need. As his father in heaven did for each one of us. Our father in heaven did for each one of us. The same type of care he showed us, even though we were unworthy and on the streets, so to speak, fatherless, without provision, without spiritual safety, still in shackles. <coughs> he rescued us. And God says, go do the same. Go do the same. I'll, I'll empower you. But this is truly good in my eyes. This is pure and undefiled religion. One other commonality to think about with widows and orphans. When you help those who are in distress, as this verse says, right? Visit widows and orphans in their distress. So, in other words, if you know a widow and she's doing just fine and all that, don't knock on her door every day. You know what I mean? If someone is in distress, look for that, keep an eye out for that, and help them if they're in distress. But one other common thing about widows and orphans, you're helping those who cannot reciprocate. If a widow and an orphan is in distress, um, going without, for example, or without love or without support, you're helping somebody who cannot reciprocate, can't pay you back. And maybe, just maybe, that's one reason God calls this purer and undefiled religion. Isn't that what the Lord did for us, by the way? We couldn't pay Him back. At one point, the Lord promised He wouldn't leave us as orphans. He knows how helpless and lost we are without Him. And this was the night before His crucifixion. He's hours away from going to the cross, and He was sharing with His disciples God's plan. And what was to come. And this is what he said to them on the board in John 14, 18. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. In other words, I'm leaving, he was saying. I'm leaving, but I'm coming back. I'm not going to leave you as orphans. I will come to you. And so, in his example, the spiritual life we are to live is not only between our two ears and in our hearts but it flows out of our hearts towards others. That's his example. He came to us. You know, as a, as a, in a lesson uh, on salvation, I, I was teaching on Pal Talk to the people in India. He came to us, right, in person. He didn't send a salvation track out of heaven and have them fall to the ground and say, I don't really need to come, you know, just read this and you'll be good. He came to us to love us personally in that way, and to do what was necessary to save us. So his love is to flow out to others, especially those in need. That's God's heart. And it could be physical needs, but it also could be other needs. It could be emotional. It could be in their distress, quote-unquote, whatever that could fall under. But the fact is God's heart helps those in need, reaches out to those in need. It doesn't just sit home on the couch. Say, you know what, I'm good, someone else will do it. Oh, I don't know what to do. Oh, I could never do this. Will you stop it? I know, (laughs) I was thinking about this person the other day. Some of you might know her, but years ago I taught her in prep school. And she was the quietest girl I've ever met in my entire life. She literally would only say the word hi, and it was at a one out of ten in decibel. It was hi. And that was it. And she was a very kind girl, very sweet girl, loved God. Quietest girl I've ever met. You know, now she's teaching children in classrooms about the Lord Jesus Christ and the Bible. Don't say you can't do it. Are you you meant to go out in the mission field? Maybe not. Are you meant to teach in front of groups? Maybe not. Guess what? You are meant to go to a particular person, maybe who's like you, who you can relate to and has the same personality or whatever. You know what I mean? There's people assigned to you because you can reach them, because you can relate to them. So don't fall for a cop-out. Satan wants us to fall for a cop-out. God's telling us, look, this is, this is it. This is like, I'm telling you what I want you to do, and it's not complicated. right? We've got the Great Commission on our plate. Go out, reach out to a lost and dying world with the good news. And we've got this, among other things, but there are a few key things we could say, you know what, this is pure. This is good in God's eyes. Reach out to those in need, just like I reached out to you. And one thing is for sure, Jesus said the greatest of love is when somebody lays down his life for his friends. That, my friends, is a sacrificial activity. That's not a thought. That is a laying down of your life. You may not have to die physically, but it is a sacrifice of some comfort in your own life. That is the greatest form of love on the board. Is it comfortable to your flesh? No. Do you want to sit on the couch and eat bonbons? Yes, you do, because that's what your flesh wants to do, be selfish. Is that a deception from the devil, your father, the, the father, your former father, the father of lies who wants you to come back to him, so to speak? It's a deception from the devil. God says, this is plain as day what I want you to do. Are you willing to obey me? And I will bless you. I don't know what else, what else you want, you know? John fifteen twelve through 14. This is my commandment that you love one another just as I have loved you. Notice that, just as I have loved you. I will not leave you as orphans. Greater love has no one than this, that one lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. It's a choice to put self aside. It's a choice to sacrifice some kind of a personal comfort for others. Who who sacrificed more comfort than God? Jesus was in heaven in perfection. And left to be nailed to a cross. You, you can't leave the couch to suffer in the heat of the day at the park and talk to somebody. <laughs> or you can't leave the couch to go visit an orphan or widow in distress because it's uncomfortable or out of your comfort zone. The cross was out of Jesus' comfort zone. The things we talk ourselves into. But God's saying it's plain. It's plain. As the Spirit's been teaching us for years now, love is an activity. It begins with a changed heart and proceeds out in the living of life for others. And as we've also been hit with lately, you are blessed if you do these things. There's no way around it. Jesus said many times in many ways throughout the Gospels, you will be blessed if you do these things. Turn in your Bibles to John thirteen, verse five. John thirteen, five. Jesus also said it's one thing to know these things, it's entirely another thing to do these things. Or as James would say, don't fool yourself by being a talker and not a doer. John thirteen five. Here's our Lord, our great example. Then he poured water into the basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel with which he was girded. So he came to Simon Peter. Peter said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered and said to him, What I do, you do not realize now, but you will understand hereafter. Peter said to him, Never shall you wash my feet, Jesus answered him, If I do not wash you, you have no part with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, then wash not only my feet, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, He who has bathed needs only to wash his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not all of you. For he knew the one who was betraying him. For this reason he said, Not all of you are clean. So when he had washed their feet, and taken his garments and reclined at the table again, he said to them, Do you know what I have done for you? By the way, including Judas Iscariot, if you knew someone was going to betray you like that, would you wash his feet? Something to think about. He said to them, Do you know what I have done for you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, the Lord and the teacher, wash your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I gave you an example that you also should do as I did to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a slave is not greater than his master, nor is one who is sent greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, you are blessed if you do them. You can know these things all you want. You are blessed if you do them. The example before us now is how we treat orphans and widows in distress. Or on the spiritual side, reaching out to spiritual orphans, just like God reached out to us. So regarding orphans and widows as an example of living a godly life, even a pure and undefiled religion, let's take a look at the life lived by the righteous man named Job. And remember, he was called blameless and upright, and we're going to see why. Turn in your Bibles to Job 1, verse 1. Job 1, 1. You want pure and undefiled religion? Help those who are in need who can't reciprocate. So that you actually have a pure motivation in it and you're not doing it for the wrong reasons to get something back in return. We know how evil the flesh is and how we conspire. What can we get out of this? But let's look at an example in the Bible. Job 1.1, first of all. There was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job. And that man was blameless, upright, fearing God, and turning away from evil. So what does a blameless and upright man look like? How does he live? It's a good question. Why does this verse call him blameless and upright? In other words, what does God want from us? The hint is in James 1.27, pure and undefiled religion. What does it do? During his trials, Job reminisced about the blessed life God gave him and the way he lived. So turn to Job 29, verse 1. Job 29, verse 1. We just saw Job is called blameless and upright. That is quite a compliment from God. What does that look like? Why did God call him blameless and upright? What kind of things do you do in your life, with, empowered by God, empowered by the Spirit, but by your free will choice? What kind of things do you do where God would consider your lifestyle blameless and upright? James 1.27, which, as we're going to see, matches perfectly with Job. Look at Job 29, verse 1. And Job again took up his discourse and said, Oh, that I were in, I'm sorry, I were as in months gone by, as in the days when God watched over me, when His lamp shone over my head, and by His light I walked through darkness. I love that phrase. By His light I walked through darkness. Sounds like the New Testament, huh? You mean it's all the same? Yep, it's all the same. (laughs) What God wants from us, the spiritual walk, by grace through faith, it's all the same. By His light I walked through darkness. As I was in the prime of my days, when the friendship of God was over my tent, when the Almighty was yet with me, and my children were around me, when my steps were bathed in butter, and the rock poured out for me streams of oil, when I went out to the gate of the city, when I took my seat in the square, the young men saw me and hid themselves, and the old men arose and stood. The princes stopped talking and put their hands on their mouths." The voice of the nobles was hushed, and their tongue stuck to their palate. For when the the ear heard, it called me blessed. And when the eye saw, it gave witness of me. Why? Why all this respect for Job? Verse 12, Because I delivered the poor who cried for help, and the orphan who had no helper. The blessing of the one ready to perish came upon me, and I made the widow's heart sing for joy. I put on righteousness, and it clothed me. My justice was like a robe and a turban. I was eyes to the blind and feet to the lame. I was a father to the needy, and I investigated the case which I did not know. I broke the jaws of the wicked and snatched the prey from his teeth. That, my friends, is what God's righteousness looks like. And that's what God did for us. And that's why Job is called blameless and upright. He did for others what God did for him. What an example. So there we see a lifestyle of a blameless and upright man in God's eyes. What does his obedience look like? Jesus said, you'll be blessed if you do these things. What does it look like? That's what it looks like on the board. Why? Blameless and upright. Job defended the weak and spoke up for them when no one else would. And people knew, people knew he wouldn't overlook their unrighteous activities against the orphans and widows. How many times do you turn a blind eye when you see something going on that's not really right because you're scared? Way too often. You don't want to say something because you're going to stir the part, it's going to cause you problems, etc. Fear. Lack of faith. People knew Job wouldn't overlook their unrighteous activities against the orphans and widows. In fact, he fought for them, even though it wasn't his fight. Job 1 1, Job 29, 1 through 17. And that's what God did for us, right? He didn't have to be bothered with us, especially after we rebelled against him. And because Job belonged to God, Job knew God's kindness towards him. And he lived as God would have him live. He lived an eternal life because he knew God. See, because he knew God, we talked about that last week, right? Eternal life involves knowing God. And the more we know God, the more we want to live like him because we know what he did for us. That's living in eternal life even. He lived in eternal life because he knew God, and he did as God had done for him. Think of adoption. This, my friends, is a picture of pure and undefiled religion. Job is a visual example for us of what James teaches thousands of years later in James 1. This is one definite way we're told to live out our life in Christ. So you're wondering, what should I do? What does God want from me? I don't have this ability. I can't speak. Well, Moses said he couldn't speak, right? Look how God used him. The question, again, is are you willing? Are you willing to be sent out? Are you willing to go out and see who God brings to you or not? You don't have to be able It's better if you're not able. If you're willing, God will use you. And this is one clear way to bring glory to God in our lives. It doesn't get much plainer than that. So again, on the board, why is Job called blameless and upright? Because he defended the weak and spoke up for them when no one else would. And people knew he wouldn't overlook their unrighteous activities against the orphans and widows. In fact, he fought fought for them even though it wasn't his fight. And that's God's heart right there, the heart of a lion, if you will. And Job said, you know what? I'm going to do that because God did that for me first. We love because he first loved us. So we'll close with this thought. If you think about it, there is no shortage of people in need. We like to stay to ourselves and we hide out, we isolate ourselves so that we can't see people in need, but there's no shortage of people in need, even in our own country. Not only are there plenty of spiritual orphans in this world to approach with God's adoption plan, but there are also plenty of literal orphans and widows to reach out to. There's plenty of opportunity, in other words to stop sitting around and wondering what God wants us to do. There are plenty of widows who have lost their loving husband and provider, even here in our own church at NCC. And there are plenty of orphans as well who have lost the love and provisions of a father. Just think about this right now in our own country, in your own neighborhoods. How many children out there do you know today that only have one parent raising them? Half? Half of the children we know are in that situation, maybe? Could they rightly be considered an orphan? I'm not saying they are. I'm not saying they aren't, as we'll see in a minute. But should we look at them as an orphan? On the board, defend the fatherless. And that word is in quotes for a reason, because the Bible often calls orphans the fatherless because the father is usually the provider in a family, especially if the mother is staying home to properly raise the child. And we see that term in Psalm 68.5 and Psalm 146.9, which we'll see later on this week. But the Bible often refers to orphans as fatherless. In other words, they still have a parent, but the provider is gone. And that's the case with a lot of families, maybe not in our country, but um, in many countries even today, not just back in biblical days, in many countries even today, there are no jobs for women. You know, in third world countries, unemployment is like 50%. That's, that's, That's in general. Now imagine being a woman who's untrained and unschooled. So in many countries today, because there are no jobs for women the fatherless, quote-unquote, are put into orphanages by their own mothers. Not because they don't love them, because they can't provide enough food for them and clothing. So they put them in an orphanage. So is that what the Bible calls an orphan? We might rightly say yes. They're called fatherless. So ask yourself, when's the last time you looked at the child of a single mother as an orphan? As one that God wants you to visit in their distress. Just something to think about. A perspective that maybe we should adopt. Pun intended. At least Todd got it right. When's the last time you looked at the child of a single mother as an orphan? As one that God wants you to visit in their distress. We sit around wondering what God wants us to do when there are plenty of people in distress different kinds of distress that we could reach out to. In fact, you might, in that situation, find both a widow and an orphan, one who has lost her husband and another who has lost his father. The Spirit is saying, instead of thinking you're spiritual by sitting home contemplating all the time, get up and do the things you say you believe in. He's been saying this to us for years now, right? Get up and do the things you believe in. Unless you don't believe them. Then you need to spend some time alone with God. We'll close this way. God loves orphans. Do like God. Look, look what Job did. What do you think Job got that idea of defending the needy and the orphans and the widows? Why did he live that way? Why did God call him blameless and upright? Because that's the way of God. It's righteous. He did the right thing for those who were being taken advantage of. He reached out. Notice he, notice he walked into town, that passage in Job 29 says. He walked into town. He didn't sit at home waiting for them to come to him. He walked into town. And people knew his reputation by that point because of how he treated the needy and the unfortunate. And they closed their mouths. Even the princes closed mm-hmm. their mouths. Why? He lived in righteousness. He lived like God would do. Do like God. Faith of a child, right? Don't don't complicate this. Do like God. James 1.27, John 13.17. God does because love does, and God is love. So let's imitate God and Christ who reached out to widows and orphans like all of us spiritually. The Lord Jesus didn't sit back on his Jewish sofa back in the day and wait for people to come to him. He wasn't sitting on a throne like like the king that he is rightfully so he could have and said bring them to me. You know, I'm going to wait till they come to me. He got down with the lowly. He reached out to people as Job was a type of Christ in that way. He showed what love is, and he wants us to do the same. So don't complicate it. Make sure your heart is right. Do it for the right reasons, not for selfish gain or any other reason. But don't complicate it, and let's not fool ourselves into being just talkers who don't do. And then we waste our lives away, as Ephesians 5 says, right? Make the most of the opportunity because the days are evil. So we'll continue with this study on Tuesday. Let's bow our heads. (laughs) Father, we thank you so much for your word that enlightens us, is a lamp to our feet. And Father, we ask that you help us walk. That you help us go forward in the faith, going out to those that need us, both spiritually and physically. Help us adopt your heart, Father, the same heart that took us in and adopted us even though we were so filthy. Father, we thank you for your grace and mercy towards us and your gentleness towards us. Help us treat people in the same way so they see the light of Christ, which is the love of Christ, and they can be adopted into your family as well. We ask that you bless us all as we go. We ask these things in Christ's precious name and by the power of your spirit, we pray.